0: We're transitioning from David the shepherd to David, of course, the warrior in the wilderness. Now we're transitioning into David uh, the king. Now, this is not a positive lesson uh, as we're thinking about the transition from David to, uh, from from shepherd to warrior to king. This is not a great lesson. There's a lot of bad stuff coming up in David's life. And we've kind of gone through, you know, most of David's life up till now. Been a lot of bad stuff already it ain't got nothing on what's coming up. There's some, some truly horrific stuff that's coming up in the life of David for a number of different reasons. And I want to start with this. Number one, remember that Israel having a king at all was a failure. Israel was never supposed to have a king. Israel was supposed to have, well, I guess they were supposed to have a king, but it was supposed to be God, right? Their king was supposed to be God. Israel having a king at all was a failure and a rejection of God, no matter how great the king was. Now, Moses knew way back in the, as they're entering or exiting out of the land of Egypt, and they're about to go into the promised land, right? They have all these promises and things that will happen. It's not like God didn't know that this would happen. So he does say in Deuteronomy 17... When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. God knew that they were going to fail in this way. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, one who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. He shall not acquire many wives for himself Himself, lest his heart turn away nor he shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now this is again way back God is ordaining this at the head ahead of time he's going to say he says I know you're going to do this but then when it comes to it, they ask for a king this is while Samuel is over, is judging them. Uh, 1 Samuel 8:6. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, "Give us a king." And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, "Obey the voice of the people and all they say, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them." They had a great Israel had a great right. God was their king. They had these judges. There was uh, there was this period of time where the judges, of course, were, were were helping them, and then they'd fall away. And you know, the judges, you have it over and over. in The cyclical habit, the cyclical pattern, which having a king did not change. And in fact, having a king in some ways made it worse because now who's going to be in charge? Well, it's not this judge that God picks. It's going to be the line of the king. So instead of having a generation that falls away and then a judge that saves them, now we're going to have generations that go by, whole multiple generations where the the people are not following God because they have rejected God's kingship over them. Now, uh, we're not going to read this. I'll have it up there. You can write it down if you want the the reference. 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 18. Samuel then warns them. Okay, you're going to have a king, but what's going to happen? And basically all of this, this is all the warnings about the king. It comes down to like three things. Number one, if you have a king, he's going to tax you. You ready for taxes? Because, man, that's going to get really crazy with taxes. Number two, he's going to take all your, your men to go to war which is what kings do, right? They tax people and they go to war. Like that's the whole thing of kings. They, they tax people and they go to war. And as you think about this, basically what he's saying there is you will no longer have the same kind of freedom that you do now. You think things are not so great, but you have it great. I'm your king. I give you judges. You're basically able to have the, the borders that you want with the tribes and things are going pretty well. Having a king is going to ruin all that. So we come to David. Even though David was a good man in many ways, man after God's own heart, He was prone to all the same struggles that all men in power have been throughout history. David was not unique in this. When men get in power, absolute power specifically, there are some struggles and some temptations to go along with that that David was not immune to. Now, I'm going to put up some maps. How readable is that? Oh, that's fairly readable. This is the division of the 12 tribes. As we are establishing, as we're transitioning into a time of civil war. Up until now, there has been sort of civil war. David was was having all sorts of battles around outside of Egypt and, of course, or outside of Israel with the Philistines and with different nations. Then, of course, he's running all around the wilderness. And we're going to transition very briefly into a period of civil war tonight. And I really want to emphasize a couple of things that are going to come up. Number one, here's Jerusalem right here in the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, there's Judah, that's where Israel, uh, David's going to be king first over Judah, and then all these people sort of reject him at the beginning. Uh, of note, as we begin this, Jerusalem is not actually occupied by Israelites. At this point in time, Israel does not hold the city of Jerusalem. That is the Jebusites. The Jebusites hold that city. You can see here the beginning of David's king uh, reign. Oh, you can't really see that. That's not very contrasted. Can you see the distinction between the gray and the green, sort of? Anyway, the gray area is the kingdom where Dave, when David first becomes king. And then David eventually consolidates all of that. So if you do that, you can kind of see the differences between them. David does a lot of consolidating, a lot of uh, expanding, as he's the warrior king, right? And this is the first problem of kings. How to, main, how to get power and how to maintain power. David was a good man. He was not immune from that problem. Which means that his problem became Israel's problem, right? David becomes, uh, David is supposed to become king. Saul's been killed. His number one obstacle supposedly is gone. But what happens? 1 Samuel 2.8. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ish... Ah, it's like a tongue twister of a name. Ishbosheth. Say that ten times fast, guys. That's tough. Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manah. Uh, So many hard names, Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Uh, That is the northern part, right? He basically takes him up to the northern part and makes him king up there. Uh, And uh, that Saul's son, I'm not going to say his name anymore, Saul's son was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. He reigned two years. The house of Judah, that's again the southern kingdom, followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So, at the beginning, you think, okay, he's been running from Saul. Saul was the Lord's anointed. Saul's finally dead. Now David can be king. No, it's never that simple. It's not that simple. Saul's commander takes half the kingdom, essentially. Which means what? What are we headed for? Civil war. What a bad deal. What a sad situation. What did Samuel warn them? You're going to put a king over you. What is he going to do? He's going to tax you, and he's going to take your men to battle. Lo and behold, here it comes to pass. Chapter 3, verse 1, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. We understand that this is, of course, something that needs to happen for David to consolidate power, but here's the question. How many Israelites died at the hands of their own people instead of the enemies of God? Philistines didn't have to do anything. Israelites were going to kill each other because Israel wanted a king. Even though David was going to be a a great king in some ways, this was the natural result of their rejection of God. What was the cause of all this suffering? Israel wanting to be like everyone else. Wasn't that their excuse? We're going to come in, even back in Deuteronomy, we're going to go in the land of Canaan, and you're going to look around, and you're going to be like, make me, put me, have me, uh, establish a king for me so we can be like everyone else. This is what God had warned Israel about through Samuel. The story of Israel in the time of the kings, beginning with David, we're really beginning with Saul, all the way through up until the captivities, the major captivities. Israel's not any better than any other nation. Backstabbing, betrayal, human failure, wickedness, civil war after civil war. Like it's all the same problems. People are people are people, kings are kings are kings. And this is what was going to be the natural result for rejecting God's kingdom. So, the David's ascension over the next few chapters, we're going to go over this pretty quick. Uh, as David ascends to king his kingdom through the next three chapters, through this civil war, uh, Ishboth Sheth... Offends Abner in those verses, and then Abner defects to David. Remember, Abner's the commander. Ishbosheth is the son of Saul. Abner gets offended by him, uh, and then Abner's like, Hey, David, I'll give you the kingdom, because I don't like Ishbosheth anymore. And then Joab, who's David's commander, he's like, You can't trust Abner. Abner's just here to, to spy on you and to get all your secrets. And, and David's like, No, no, it's okay. We're going we're to unify the kingdom. And then what does Joab do? He goes and murders Abner. Because people are people no matter when they live. Distrust, refusal to listen, taking matters into your own hands. So Joab murders Abner. Then there's a big period of mourning. David mourns Abner. Then Ishbosheth is murdered by his own guards. Because, again, Israel's not really any better than any other nation. Uh, and so we come to this where it seems like David is getting to benefit a lot from others doing the dirty work of the royal ascension warfare or royal succession warfare David doesn't want to kill Abner, Joab does it, David benefits from it David mourns after it, kind of like he did with Saul he didn't want to kill Saul when Saul was murdered he mourned a lot but you know what David benefited a lot from Saul's death that was the thing that needed to happen so finally, David conquers Jerusalem, which you're like, wait, Jerusalem, isn't that the capital of Israel? Nope, not yet. Uh, Joshua 15:63, the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive them out, so the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. That's to the day when that was written. Judges 121, the people of Benjamin did not drive out, drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. That's when Judges was written. But finally, David does it. He goes in, he conquers the land or the city of, of Jerusalem. Does anybody remember? Super bonus points, you don't have to say it because we're in a sermon. But when was that first mentioned that this would be an important city? With Melchizedek, right? The prince of Salem, the king of Salem, that city that would become Jerusalem. Uh, 2 Samuel 5, 11 through 12, as we sum up this sort of civil war. And again, I really want to reiterate we go through this like three chapters here. This is God's people killing each other. God's people who are supposed to be separate from the nations, God's people who are supposed to be better than everyone around them, they're acting like everyone else. Which leads to death and destruction and suffering. It sort of, The text glosses over the suffering of war, but we know war is not a nice thing. It sort of says, and these many people murdered this many people, or this many people destroyed this many people. That doesn't tell us the suffering of those who were left behind, and the loss of faith in the nation towards one another, trust towards one another. How many generations did that take for it to die out? Your family killed my family way back when. How long do you think they held those grudges? How long do you think was that a source of conflict in Israel? But ultimately, what, what ends up happening? the high king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house and David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel so eventually David succeeds in uh, conquering all of Israel becomes the king over the whole nation and we think oh yeah things are great now things are looking up Great, awesome, smooth sailing from here. And of course, you know that's not how it goes, right? That's never how it goes. But I really want to reiterate, what is the source of their failure? They wanted to be like everyone else. And guess what? They ended up like everyone else, with murders and betrayals and backstabbing in civil war. They could have avoided all that if they had realized the special position that they had been in. Now, in the midst of this bloodshed and conquest, we see David's greatest failure— You're thinking, wow, what is David's greatest failure? It's not this. It's not the Civil War. That was sort of out of his control from a certain perspective. But David's greatest failure in the midst of his rising to power in Israel, 2 Samuel 3, 2 through 5. The sons were born to David at Hebron. Uh, So remember, he rules in the southern portion of of the nation for seven years. And then he conquers Jerusalem uh, after seven years and rules another 33 years in the United Kingdom. Uh, So while he was in the south, the sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal. The third, Absalom, the son of Macca, the daughter of... Talmai, king of Gesher, the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the fifth. I'm going to stop there. All these names. What's the point? Six sons, or six children, by six different women. And you kind of think, you, we don't really think about David this way. Six different women. What is he doing? What was, the fir- what was one of the first things God said about kings? Don't acquire many wives. We kind of think about that with Solomon. I will say Solomon does put David to shame in that respect, just sheer numbers-wise. I always get it confused. Is it 300 concubines and 700 wives, or is it the other way around? A thousand women, let's put it that way. So David's not approaching those numbers. And yet, here he is, having a bunch of kids with a bunch of different women. Um, Chapter 5, verse 13, and David took more concubines and wives, because the first wasn't enough. From Jerusalem, after he came from Hebron, more sons and daughters were born to David. These are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Uh, And then those are the names. I'm not going to read them. I'm going to put this up there. I'm not going to read all this. This is his lineage, David's immediate family. Now, this is not to say the, the children he might have had by concubines. This is just from wives, from women who are called his wife. Not to mention his concubines, the people he had affairs with, whatever. He has what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 kids by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8 plus wives. This is David's greatest failure. And this is going to cause him trouble for the rest of his life. The rest of David's life is basically fighting with his family. he couldn't control himself I guess or maybe he thought it was above it maybe he thought the rules for kings didn't matter to him maybe he, and, and remember it's not like David didn't know this because what was the other thing that kings were supposed to do when they became king? They were supposed to write out a copy of the law it's not like David didn't know, he was supposed to know right? Priests were supposed to tell him not only does he have these children by this many women, it's very obvious that he does not do a good job parenting them after he has them he just doesn't. Remember, Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 17. You shall not, he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Now, I will say his heart didn't turn away. That seems to not have happened. He seemed to be loyal to the Lord up all through his life. You know whose heart turned away as a result of this, though? His children's. Because he didn't father them very well. He didn't parent them very well. Whatever he was doing, he wasn't parenting. Because what was he doing? He was dealing with civil war. He was dealing with conquest and expanding the kingdom. And eventually, later on, he was just sort of, he seemed to be sort of a lazy king later on in his life. So, what's the point? As we will see, David was an abject failure of a father. Several of his children just straight up tried to murder him or take the throne. Many of his children did horrible, despicable things. We're not going to read them tonight, but we're going to go through some of the stories I might actually, I don't know. They're, they're bad, guys. I don't know if they're suitable for public assembly kind of bad. It's hard to tell how many of them remained loyal to God. Solomon did for a while, and yet what ended up happening to Solomon? He followed the way of his father. Had a bunch of wives, a bunch of kids, and then he did turn away from God, didn't he? At the end. So even though David was a man after God's own hearts did not keep him from failure and ultimately the lesson for us is simple we can be the right kind of people in certain ways but that does not mean that we aren't going to struggle in other ways. David is, is a paragon in the, in, the New Test- in the New Testament. He's mentioned so many times as this sort of paragon leader of Israel, right? This great king of Israel. David is, of course, coming after the, the, the kingship of David. And he is the son of David and all of these different things. And, and yeah, David did a lot of great stuff. But David's greatness did not prevent him from being a total failure in several other areas. Just like our righteousness, we might be really righteous in some areas, but just because you're righteous in some areas, just because you want to serve God, just because you think you have a great relationship with God, just because you're prone to repentance and and willing to confess your sin, that does not mean that your life will be smooth sailing, that you will be exempt from the struggles and the temptations of life. Because if this happened to David who is literally called by God a man after his own heart, what's the danger for us? The failure, general failure of all, all kings, of course, leading to the deaths of thousands of Israelites, but the specific failure that so often befalls people, and, you know, I've got career here. His kingdom is, you know, it's a career, I guess. But what? Success in his job. His job was to be king, and he was successful as a king at the expense Of his family. Now I don't know. It'll be interesting to see because we don't know obviously. I don't know how many kids, how many David's kids are gonna be in heaven. I'm fairly confident David's gonna be in heaven. A lot of his kids are not gonna be. And do you think it's a trade-off he's willing to make? Now of course maybe in heaven he won't know and it won't matter. Right? who knows how God's going to work all that out I don't know but it's definitely not a trade off that I would make we have to be careful about our priorities what good things again good things I have in quotes here being a king was David's job it was his calling we understand that and he did a relatively good job at the king part of his job. But his, it seems to be that his prioritizing of the kingly job was at the expense of other parts of his life that needed to be addressed. And we have to be careful in our own lives. Things that are good things. That is, things that are not inherently sinful. Things that God wants us to do that we can prioritize at the expense of other things that God wants us to do. Other things that God does not want us to neglect. And again, I really want to emphasize this. If this is something that could happen to David, it can definitely happen to any of us. Right? David, who was filled with the Spirit. David, who was inspired. Right? We have all the Psalms that he wrote. David, who was a man after God's own heart. David, who was so bold and courageous in his faith. David, who was so willing to repent and to confess. That's the thing that separated him from Saul. All of these good qualities of David. And yet he also failed in very profound ways. As we say, not a happy lesson. This is a lesson of warning. To consider your life. To carefully take inventory of your life. The different areas of life. You have your job, you have your family, you have your church, you have whatever it is that you go on. You got, you know, even, even in family, you have immediate family, you have you know, extended family, you have friends, you have all those different things in your life. Be intentional about taking inventory of your life And trying to discover what areas are you dropping the ball in. And what is it that's causing you to do that? Maybe you're spending so much time on this good thing over here that you're really failing in this other thing that needs to be addressed, that needs to be corrected, that needs to be done right. Fortunately, as we offer the invitation, we know that we don't have to do it alone, right? David often felt alone. And especially as king, don't you know it must have been lonely to be king? To be the one that had the ultimate power. Nobody else is his equal. No one is his peer as king. That's not how it is with us. I look around and you look around. Don't look at me. Look at each other right now. You're not looking at each other. Don't look at me. These people want to help, don't they? They want to help us stay on the straight and narrow. They want to help us not just excel in one area of our lives, but excel in all areas of our lives. So maybe you're thinking to yourself tonight, I don't really know, how am I doing? I can't really tell. Maybe you don't come forward and ask for the congregation as a whole. Maybe you ask individuals. Maybe you ask people in your life that you know that are Christians. Hey, do you, do you see I'm failing in anything? Is there anything I need to be doing better? Is there something I should be doing that I'm not doing or something that, I'm not, that I should not be doing that I am doing? And ask your brothers or sisters. The invitation to come forward we always offer, but the invitation is not just for Sundays, right? The invitation is for any day of the week that you realize you need help to ask. Because if it could happen to David, it could happen to us. Ultimately, we offer the invitation to become a Christian. To put aside your old life, to be united with Christ. I look around, I don't know how many of us here are are out of that boat, but if you are... You have an opportunity to make things right tonight. If you want to, come while we stand and sing.